Well, friends, let's pray and then look at this passage again. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for your word and we thank you that it shows us what not to do in life. And we pray that as we look at this passage, and as we think and ponder the wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes, that you would help us to understand, and then having understood, to avoid wasting our lives on things that are meaningless. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was 1965, and in that year, a band came out with what is a, a song that still gets played today. Uh, it's called I Can't Get No Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. Uh, that's almost 60 years ago that that came out. Uh, and it is a song that symbolises the 1960s, which was this restless quest for satisfaction. And in a way, Mick Jagger, the lead singer of the Rolling Stone, he personified that quest for satisfaction. Uh, if you think about the 60s, well, it pioneered free love, that is, sex without the cost of a marriage commitment. It pioneered the trip. I'm not talking about a trip to Canberra. There's a different one, one that's uh, experienced through marijuana or LSD. And the 60s pioneered rock and roll. So one out of three is not bad. There you go. Of course, the things which the 60s pioneered, the generations that have followed, have simply assumed as a given. Sex outside of marriage is something that is now normal in our culture. The drugs of today make the drugs of the 60s look like child's play. For, of course, it is not just the child of the 60s that is on a restless search for satisfaction. Now, I can't get no satisfaction is as relevant today for people as it was when it was first written. And it still sounds good too. The funny thing about the quest for satisfaction is that it doesn't succeed. If you look at the song again, it says, I, it's called I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And that's exactly what he finds as he tries everything that the modern economy can give him. The quest fails. Mick Jagger, the 60s child, and us can't get no satisfaction. However, as we know from last time, there is nothing new under the sun. So it should come as no surprise to us that this restless quest for satisfaction has been done before. For our teacher, the writer to Ecclesiastes, has engaged in his own quest for satisfaction. So let us turn to our passage today and see if he finds it. Have a look again at verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Verses 1 to 3 tells us that the great quest to find the meaning of life continues. As usual, the teacher is looking for gain or profit. That is, something that is there now that wasn't there before. Something that has been achieved. As it says in verse 3, I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do during the few days of their lives. 
Worthwhile activity is the activity that produces something. Gain. Profit. And the scope of the experiment remains the same. If you look at the phrase in verse 3, he's looking under heaven. All the world is under the microscope. And the visible world is both the extent and limit of the investigation. But the subject at hand that the teacher turns to in chapter 2 is a new subject. The teacher turns his mind away from the repetitive nature of the world, which he looked at in chapter 1, and now we're told in verses 2 and 3 that he's examining pleasure and laughter and folly. He turns the quest into a search for satisfaction. And verses 4 to 10 give us the content of the teacher's search. It shows how he went about testing pleasure to see if it produced gain or satisfaction. If you like, it's the list of the things he tried. The first thing is there in verses 4 to 6. And when you read verses 4 to 6, and all this work that seems to be happening, it may at first glance seem not very pleasurable. All these great projects sounds like a lot of hard work. Where is the pleasure in that? But friends, the thing to remember is that our teacher is king in Jerusalem. He doesn't actually have to do any of the work himself. He has subjects for that. No, he simply decides what he's going to be, what's going to be built and watches over other people doing all the hard work. And you can see now why that might be seen as being pleasure. It's a bit like playing a computer game. You know those computer games like Civilization or Age of Empires? It's like playing that, except it's real. Hmm, I think I'll build a palace over here. Yes. I think I'll build a temple over there. Yes. A wonder of the world over here. Yeah, I'll put that in there. Can you imagine how fun that would be? Playing one of these games and winning and it's actually real. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? There's got to be some satisfaction in that. And the search continues in verses 7 and 8 and here the teacher is playing Monopoly. But it's real. He amasses not just money but stock and even people. If you want to translate it into Monopoly terms, he owns Mayfair, Park Lane and half the board. And all with those little red hotels on them. This guy is as rich as Gina Reinhardt or even Mark Zuckerberg. He is the wealthiest man of his era. How cool would that be? To play Monopoly and win, and it's not fake money. It's real. There's got to be some satisfaction in that. And in the second half of verse 8, we see the teacher playing the playboy. He gets singers to entertain him, and in his harem, he has a different kind of entertainment. The teacher has the ability to play out the ultimate male fantasy. And he does, all in the interests of science, of course. You can be guaranteed that the teacher was able to have sex with the women of his choosing whenever he wanted to. 
He had the most beautiful his kingdom could offer at his disposal whenever he liked. And to many male minds, that would be the ultimate fantasy come true. And perhaps you'd find him saying, there's got to be some satisfaction in that. But just in case we had doubts that our teacher was experiencing every pleasure there is to sample, he tells us he has. Have a look at verse 9. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. His search for satisfaction is the complete search. No pleasure is withheld. Nothing. If he sees something enjoyable or fun, or what looks like it, he does it. Or he takes it. It is the total search. But notice the second half of verse 9 as well. This is a total search for another reason. Throughout all these pleasurable experiences, he keeps his wisdom. That is, he doesn't lose his head and get carried away with it all. Rather, he analyzes everything, checking to see if there is any gain. It is the total search for satisfaction. So what does he find? Well, we read on in verse 10, where he says, was the reward for all my toil. Well, it may come as a bit of a surprise, but the teacher actually reports some success. All his work brought some enjoyment. There was reward for his toil. It seems that he was able to get, enjoy that good feeling you get for a job well done. And so he reports some, some success. But then he continues in verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. The, the kind of temporary success is completely outweighed by the failure. Overall, the search comes up with nothing. Nothing gained under the sun. No profit, no advantage. Pleasure is meaningless. It is futile, like chasing after the wind. The search for satisfaction is a failure. We might reflect at this point and ask, why is it a failure? Why isn't there any profit in pleasure? Well, there is a clue for us in the, the Hebrew word that is translated for us with the word meaningless in our NIV Bibles. When we see the word meaningless, we see a translation of the Hebrew word chabel. And the word chabel means literally breath or vapor or mist. It also is used to show that something is transient or ephemeral 
or pointless. So meaningless is a good translation of the word. Don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking the NIV in this instance. It's just that the original word carries connotations that help us to understand why it is meaningless. Connected to the word meaningless are connotations such as transitory, passing away, not lasting, ephemeral. And this helps us to understand why pleasure is meaningless. Why? Because pleasure is so transitory. It doesn't last. Yes, it creates a glow for a bit, but the glow fades. The problem with playing uh, the game of civilization is that it doesn't last. What you build doesn't stand. The sense of achievement doesn't last either. And the problem with playing Monopoly is that the money doesn't last and as we read along later in the passage, it's handed over to someone else anyway. You can't keep it, you can't take it with you. The problem with playing the Playboy is that that doesn't last either. The thrills simply get cheaper and cheaper. The pleasure fades very quickly. It does not satisfy because it does not last. Pleasure is like a fizzy drink that is nice but leaves you thirsty. You can't get no satisfaction or meaning by pursuing pleasure. Well, we might ask ourselves then at this point, how then do we get satisfaction? We've established that pleasure is not the way, the pursuit of pleasure. But what is the way? At first glance, it might appear that there's a ray of hope in verses 24 and 25. But these two verses are simply a restatement of the second half of verse 10. It's talking about the brief enjoyment you get whilst you are working. And it is one saying, it's saying, enjoy the moment. Seize the day because it will not last. And, of course, the paragraph ends in a restatement of meaninglessness. The enjoyment is meaningless, he says, but you might as well enjoy it. It is interesting to observe that being able to enjoy these things is actually impossible without God. The very ability to enjoy these things are a gift from God. They are from His hand. Who does God give them to? Those who please Him. And that's worth remembering because it will be important later on. How then do we get satisfaction? Well, we've already given you a really big hint elsewhere in the service. The answer is not in this part of Ecclesiastes, but we did give you a hint elsewhere. But Ecclesiastes, in chapter 2, leaves us knowing where satisfaction isn't. And friends, that is super important. Because it would be absolutely terrible to spend our lives on a fruitless search for satisfaction, only to find at the end of our lives that we've been wasting our time. And yet, that is what many people do. Like our teacher, the majority of Australians 
look for satisfaction and meaning from pleasure. They are hedonists. And they look roughly in the same places as the teacher did in you know, playing civilization, be it building the ultimate career or the ultimate house, the home. They look in terms of playing Monopoly and making money and getting ahead. And a number of them play the playboy and seek their identity and fulfillment in sexual activity. And because they are the majority, they exert tremendous pressure on us to conform or to be like them. But friends, what we see from Ecclesiastes 2 is that, and it's tragic, they are looking for satisfaction and meaning in the wrong place. But if we're going to be 100% honest, not all of the temptation to be like this is peer pressure. We can be tempted from within to pursue pleasure as a way of finding satisfaction and meaning. Empire building can be fun at the time. Money is always seductive. And sexual immorality is always enticing and promises so much and yet does not deliver. In fact, none of these places actually deliver on their promises. They are looking for satisfaction in the wrong place. And so when we pursue these, we will end up singing with Mick Jagger, I can't get no satisfaction. Brothers and sisters, there is no meaning to be found in the pursuit of pleasure. It might be fun for a little while, but every pleasure fades. And so it is not the thing to spend your life on. Meaning lies elsewhere. And we will find it in the book of Ecclesiastes. But this morning... Ecclesiastes is saying that if we've been pursuing pleasure as the purpose of our life, then we ought to reconsider. For we will only waste our life chasing the wind, which is the very essence of pointless, meaningless activity. Instead, we ought to keep searching for meaning in the pages of that book of wisdom, Ecclesiastes. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for showing us again where meaning and satisfaction isn't. We thank you because it shows us how not to live what not to pour our finite lives into. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would keep us from hedonism, from the pursuit of pleasure as the meaning 
and purpose of our lives. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that instead we would keep searching for meaning in your word. And then having found it, live meaningful lives under you. And we ask this not just for our own sake, but for the glory of the Lord Jesus, whose name we bear. Amen.